Porter. And we're joined today with ExtremeSpaceAdventures.com and we were collaborating with them because they gave us the opportunity to take our GoPros up into the stratosphere and film from there. So we took Photog Adventures to the extreme this time and it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. We don't think we would have had a chance to do this otherwise. <laughs> no. not, definitely not on our own. I so had a bucket it was... list to be out in space and take pictures from space of Earth and I actually just knocked that off my bucket list. Yeah, yeah. So welcome guys. Why don't we start with your names and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, I'm Jonathan Adams. This is Mihir Godbole. And this is Joy Brito. How about we start with a little bit of background from you guys. Um, where did you guys meet and how did you guys get started? Well, the, the three of us are in technologies, and uh, we've worked in, in large corporate um, environment. I know, I've known Mihir for probably going on 10 plus years, and Mihir saw an article from some MIT students that were launching a balloon to space, and he came over to me and said, well, you know what, if they could do it, we could do it. So we decided that we were going to try the same thing. So we, we did a launch. Um, probably really about six, seven years ago, and it just really kind of took hold. So, Mihir, tell us about what we did in Colorado. One thing I would like to add to what Jonathan said is, you know, we are all uh, not just uh, guys representing technologies. Um, we are big fans of physics, and we like space a lot. So as Jonathan said, we started out with our adventure back uh, in 2009, I believe. We went out to the flat fields in... Uh, Eastern Colorado, and that's where we launched our first successful flight, which uh, went to about 108,000 feet into the stratosphere, mm. and we were able to get back amazing pictures of the sun, the moon, the curvature of the earth, and that's how it, that's how our journey started. So I actually met Jonathan and Mihir around two and a half years back. Uh, mm. That's when I came to Salt Lake City here. Okay. in Utah. So, yeah. And I knew about this, what they were doing uh, for, I think, probably a year and a half. I think the last flight they did was around 2012, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think... Uh, so they didn't have a flight during the time that you knew about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I knew about their website and I knew about okay. what okay. they have done. And it was pretty interesting and pretty exciting what they mm -hmm. have done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that was great to be a part of. So when I actually looked at the pictures, it was really something else. But to actually experience the whole process of building it from step by step, I mm. think that was something phenomenal. Yeah. So were you always a space nerd like all of us? Or were you just interested in logistics of trying to bring a balloon into space and back? Uh, yeah, I've not been much of a space nerd, to <laughs> say the truth. Yeah, mostly... Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, but when I saw the pictures and when all these things happened, yeah, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> it is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. And I, I'm the same way too. Like I'm really, I'm interested in space, but I'm not like obsessed with it, I'd say. So I think Joy and I are probably in the similar camps. Right. I, we really get a kick out of it, but we're not like, you know, we don't like eat, drink and sleep it all day long kind of thing. One thing I'd like to add is that uh, at the company I work with, I um, work um, with Aaron's father-in-law and he got telling me about what Aaron was doing and showed me some of the Aaron's pictures. And let me tell you, Aaron's got some phenomenal pictures that they've done of the uh, Milky Way. I would tell you, if you need to go out to the site and check those out there, they really are pretty cool. But uh, 
in talking with his father-in-law, he was seeing a kind of a correlation with what Mihir and I have been doing with the, the balloon launches and doing photography from space. And what Aaron was doing is taking pictures at the nighttime from the ground at space. And he thought that maybe there could be a correlation between those two, those two, uh, outlets and so it just made a lot of sense to me and he also was just telling me how like extremely energetic Aaron is about what he does and how excited he gets he just sounded like a fun person to to meet as well as work with so anyway I got calling Aaron and we decided to uh, try a launch together and it and it turned out to be really quite the adventure <laughs> before we go into more we want to take our first break and we'll come back to the podcast This is the second segment of the podcast, and now we're going to talk about the specifics of what we actually did. I want to go back to what John said about how he knew that there was a correlation between my work and Brendan's work with the Milky Way shots and what he was doing in space. And when I heard about it from my father-in-law, all I was picturing was, are you kidding? I could go above light pollution and take an awesome picture of the Milky Way? Unfortunately, the reality of that was dashed pretty quickly because we realized, okay, one, the camera will not be steady long enough for a long exposure. Two, it's crazy bright out there. We are going to launch during daylight, and so we're thinking in the future we can launch at nighttime. Maybe there will be an opportunity to see some of the stars, maybe resolve something. Milky Way is going to be impossible most likely, but who knows? Maybe we'll get lucky. And so with the day launch, I realized that was out of the question. We cannot do that. Plus, we can't keep the camera still enough, so... Brendan and I talked about it. We're just going to think, okay, let's throw the 4K GoPro up there, record constantly, and see how the footage goes. So that was our plan. Yeah, and I was lucky that about a week before the launch, I picked up a GoPro session so then we could actually add two cameras to that payload, which would give us two different perspectives, which I was excited to add to that. And we asked them, they said, oh, yeah, it should be fine. It shouldn't, it's not going to add that much more weight, so it should work. And they already had their cameras set up, and so there's going to be three cameras on this payload that we were really excited to get three different angles at the same time. And their camera was just a still camera, but it was set, it was programmed to do time-lapse. So that was, so it was pretty cool. So we have time-lapse camera, a GoPro session, and a GoPro Hero 4 Black. So. so let's go ahead, and guys, you guys chime in on this. Let's talk about the logistics of planning everything, and then we'll talk about how it actually went. Well, one thing I'd like to start out with is uh, everybody always asks us, where do you launch from? And our answer is always, you don't decide where you're going to launch from. You decide where you want it to land. And then you work back from there. So there's software that we can use to predict the landing spot based on where you take it off from. So you determine where you're going to land and then you go back from there. And it has to do with the, the trade winds, the jet stream. I mean, at times this this package, the payload, can be going over 100 miles an hour when it's going through the jet stream. So it's quite a flight, but there is software that helps us predict. And sometimes it'll go 100 miles from, from where you actually take it off from to where it lands. So there's a lot, lot going with it, but it's mainly to determine where you want to launch from and you start from where your landing point is and move back from there. When we, uh, when we first started talking to the Photographer Adventure team, uh, I think what was really cool is they presented with a unique problem statement. Um, we started off saying, hey, what can we do with some really high-tech photography equipment sent into space? What else can we capture from just the basic curvature of the Earth and the darkness of the space? I think that 
really summed up as an adventure to us i think it made it made it sound cool it made it sound tough and that's exactly what we believe in when it's tough just go for it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mihir and i have done quite a few launches and we've always had a camera go on board but when we got talking to brendan and aaron on this they were coming much more with a strong background on photography and you know brendan's got like a drone so he's able to film the launching from the air you know um Aaron's got a real strong background in taking night photography so what they were bringing to the team by combining these two teams was really enhancing what we thought the product would come back with so we were really excited to team up with these guys and try to launch a new flight what fascinates me is that this partnership that we are looking at is we are really looking to uh create an output which is different from what anybody else has thought or done we uh, we are excited about a series of flights that we want to do in order to achieve different sets of results each unique and different from what we would have done in the previous outing but be it the shot of the milky way if possible be it uh, taking some pictures of the uh, meteors um, or maybe you know even look at a sun rising over the horizon of the curvature of the earth those are the things that fascinates both these teams and we, that's what we want to do and i'm excited to try something with 360 i really want to see if we can get some 360 yeah. equipment on um, the next flight of the flight after that and I mean, with uh, as much yeah. spinning as happened do you think just 360 we can just focus an area by just yeah. constantly switching yeah. to that Yeah. We camera. literally could because no matter which direction the thing is spinning the 360 camera will just stay focused on the position that you're looking at. Yeah. So if you're looking on your phone for instance and you're pointing your phone north you'll always be looking north no matter what no the matter what's uh, the camera spinning so the seeming software of a 360 camera perhaps recognizes orientation though of where it began like a direction it was going right like it has it like an object it's focused that on orientation has shifted or spun around and i don't know if it reacts or not I'd be curious to find yeah, out yeah yeah i think we should still work out like we were saying at dinner time uh earlier that we should work out a way to stabilize the payload more and then once we do that a regular camera will look fantastic but then even so taking the next step would be 360 in my opinion So let's take you guys back real quick for those of you listening so you can picture what's happening. I am coming from the perspective of we got this giant payload. It's going to fit 18 different laptops and computer equipment and everything. We're going to send it up into space and it's going to be this machine that has awesome footage. And then we talk to Mahir and and John and find out okay, okay, it's it's a tiny lunchbox and it's going to be as light as possible. we're going to give you 1 pound. That's <laughs> 1 pound to work with. So immediately Brendan and I start weighing his GoPro with the back battery on as well. We're like, okay, that's only 0.7 or something like that. It was like 80 ounces or something like <laughs> that. So like, okay. We play in the yeah. room. We get the GoPro session as well. Okay, awesome. Very limited. So I went from this giant production of having gimbaling and all sorts of like countering the movement to okay we'll just be lucky what direction it's facing and we'll do what we get. <laughs> so then I want to get help you guys understand so it's a tiny lunch box and it has several holes that we've cut out of it and then on top of that we have to have radios and multiple radios. And so one part I don't understand from the trip and I want you guys to explain is we initially had trouble with the radios and we almost couldn't launch. What were the specifics of what was going on there? 
So what we what we use is ham radios um, that have GPS connected to them. So these GPS uh, captures the telemetry information such as the latitude and the longitude specs along with the altitude and the speed at which the GPS device is traveling. And this GPS, when connected to the radio, it just transmits this information back to the ground base stations over the standard APRS network, um, which allows us, while we track it on the ground, to just find where exactly on a mapping software our package is or the payload is, right? So when we started out, as Aaron was saying, we took out the radios from our closets and found out that they were just not working. Um, we recently went and ran some diagnostic, diagnostic checks to figure out that some of the chips and the circuitry had gone bad. Is that mm. what ended up happening? That is exactly what ended up happening. Mm. So you had to order new ones. So we actually went ahead and ordered some new radios, which uh, not only were you know, good equipment, but uh, they weighed less because nice. these new radios need less batteries, which means less weight, oh, great. which means more space for cameras to go up. <laughs> great. <laughs> no wonder why we got so more liberal with our space. And one more uh, thing I would like to add on that uh, radios is uh, the newer radios come inbuilt with the GPS rather than the older radios where we had to attach a GPS externally. Oh. So these new radios have the GPS inbuilt. So uh, the tracking, so everything is just in that one box and nice. we don't need to have anything external like a GPS <laughs> to add. Nice. That first night that we were at Mahir's house and Joy was going like nonstop with the computers and the laptop checking things. What were you guys checking? Is that just when you were trying to run the old radios to see if they were? Yes, that was what we were actually trying to do. So one of the things that they actually mention when we get a new radio or when we are trying to test a radio is to keep the antennas just outside of the house where we were trying to test it. So uh, it is easier for the antenna to pick up the signal, sorry, mm. to send the signal out. Mm. So the uh, so it's easier to track. So that was what we were trying to do. So the first night, or rather when we started to do this, we actually kept the whole package, the antenna, the radio outside of the house, just to see if we can get a signal. So the, the whole package was outside the house all night and all day. And we were trying to see if we could get a signal, but uh, we could not. Oh. Okay. Yeah, and what what happens is we we can program these radios. We can change the specifications on these radios, wherein there are software which allows us to change the transmission frequency. Say, you want to send out a telemetry information every second, every 60 seconds, 120 seconds, and 120 seconds is what we had on our payload mm. when it went out. Uh, plus, we can change the call sign. So there is a call sign that our group has, uh, which identifies this package against Extreme Space Adventures when it sends a signal from space. And those are the configurations that we were trying out on the laptop. Mm -hmm. cool. And you guys had the radios going the entire drive out there, and you kept stopping the vehicle to move the radios. Why? So we got new radios uh, just in the morning of the flight. We were configuring those radios while we were driving and making that two-hour drive to the place where we wanted to land, uh, where we wanted to launch. Um, so we were just trying out multiple things, changing batteries, changing configuration on this through the software, uh, trying out different 
antenna angles and exactly that's what we were doing. That's so nuts. we were really running and gunning it basically. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Oh man, and you had never told us that, so we weren't concerned or anything, and we had no idea. We should have been very concerned. <laughs> we were just putting $400 of GoPro equipment on there, who cares? I want to ask you guys about previous launches. I know that I've heard a couple crazy stories. Well, let me talk about this trip, and I'm, I'm sure Jonathan fondly remembers this one. <laughs> um, so there was, an, uh, there was an artist in France um, called Maxime Rossi, who contacted us saying he wants to do a flight into space where he wants his camera to go up there and come down really kind of rotating in a circular motion so that the earth and the moon earth and the, so that the sun and the earth is captured in that circular motion okay. and uh, it seems he wanted to uh, project that video uh, in the new york fashion show or something like that um, so that, uh, he contacted us in December, which is like uh, two feet of snow in Salt Lake City and most parts of Utah. So me and Jonathan took a ride back to Phoenix, down to Phoenix, um, where we decided to launch this. So we did this launch and our, we had like two payloads on it, one ours and one for the artist, uh, both equipped with radios, one of the packet just stopped responding to us um, after 15 minutes into flight. So we kept tracking the other radio till it reached to a point where by design, one of the payload had to give away and drop on its own after a, about two hours of flight so it can do that free fall to get the circular motion that the video intended to capture. It landed in a, in a pretty interesting area. It, it landed in an area which is, uh, you know, which was probably full with rattlesnakes <laughs> and me and Jonathan uh, were just me and Jonathan hiked about maybe like five to six miles into that deadly zone to retrieve that package and get back we almost got almost got our car uh, sacrificed in the process but Jonathan's great driving skills we got it back <laughs> nice. wow. It's like the Indiana Jones scene where you guys landed in a pile of snakes, or was it that bad? Yeah, well, we did fall. Yeah, that's exactly how it felt. And then Mihir, like, looks towards the camera and says, I hate snakes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, actually, I actually did that. <laughs> you know, I was going to tell you one other, one other quick story that we had was we had a, we decided to have a switch on our payload that we could turn on, turn on and off the equipment from the outside, so that every, so that you know, right at the last minute, we could power everything up and it would be ready to go. So you know, what what's the chances of like ET turning that switch off up there is pretty <laughs> not likely. So we felt like having a switch on the outside would be good. What we never considered is the fact that when it came it was coming down, it went over the top of a mountain. The payload traveled through a tree. The switch got turned off and the payload <laughs> kept traveling. So literally it stopped it stopped communicating to us at the top of the mountain. Then we had to try to figure out by direction and kind of predictive predictive travel where it would land. And we did find the payload on that. But one of the interesting things on it is that uh, that that payload was part of a, you know, because Mihir and I have been doing this for a while, and we got contacted by NASA to put together a team of high school students because they were having a contest back in uh, 
in the Glenn, John Glenn Research Center to have like four teams of high school students do some sort of space experiment in space. And so the local NASA ambassador called us up and asked us to put together a team. So I called up my godson and said, hey, how would you like to do this? Can you get some friends together? They did it. And anyway, we ended up getting chosen to to be one of the final four teams. And there was there was a school of Massachusetts of uh, science and technology, North Carolina school of like mathematics. I mean, all these really high end schools. And we am, we represented Stansbury High School in Stansbury, Utah, out in the desert. And so we felt like we were ho- holding our own. So anyway, we went back and competed, and and the kids got a chance to do their experiment. We did an experiment on uh, the moisture level of the Earth was was changing and allowing the heat transfer to the earth to compensate for any kind of loss of heat. So we uh, put some barometric equipment in there and some moisture determined equipment in there. They did an experiment and then they, they presented it to NASA and it was quite an experience, but it was literally just Mihir and I started thinking about things we could do launching a balloon to space. The next thing we know, we're getting a call from NASA to put together a team. So That's seriously it, awesome. it was quite fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, let's go ahead and take our last break, and this last segment will be extra long. We're going to go ahead and talk about our actual trip, talk about how it went, what went wrong, what could have gone better, what's going to go better next time, and then we'll do a combined gear time with Brendan. Photicadventures.com. We'd love to hear from you. So here we go. We now knew, Brennan and I, we were confident that this team was going to be perfect to go up there with. They gave us a 90% success rate of finding everything, that this was going to be fun. This was going to be a huge opportunity to see awesome pictures, and we couldn't wait to get out there. And then they delayed us the first day and said, we can't go. You know, we are dependent on the weather. <laughs> whether or not we have food or donuts. Aaron didn't have either. Oh, so. I brought them on the day. I brought them lunch <laughs> at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> I did promise donuts, and then I didn't bring them that morning. Yeah. So we did actually the. It was kind of a quick get things up and going. We you know normally have kind of a schedule. Say we're going to be doing a launch in six weeks. What do we need to do? But based on this kind of um, chance interaction between our team and their team and they were really excited about doing this and we were also kind of fighting the weather a little bit we had to launch pretty quickly so we kind of got started getting things together and in doing so we realized that they were not they were not working there was some sort of problem so we had to order some backup equipment to get those going so we did delay the we had it all took a friday off ready to go out there and anyway we spent friday going around looking for the equipment that we needed. So we ordered, we did order new transmitters so we could be ready to go the next day. And one more thing uh, I want to add is that uh, one of the reasons we chose on Saturday was that we could have enough time to retrieve the balloon because uh, initially we were planning to launch it on Sunday. But then we thought that uh, maybe if we have an extra day or a Sunday that we can use to retrieve the balloon because we were planning on doing the flight uh, in the late afternoon and once daylight goes away it's really difficult to go ahead and find the balloon so uh, that would have given us enough time 
to actually go ahead and uh, get the balloon, uh, retrieve the balloon. Especially where it landed this time yeah. on our trip. We tried getting out there at night and our pathway out the last six miles to the spot where we were going to park and meet with me here, Joy and John, the next morning. We got a flat tire six yeah. miles away. It was the worst. <laughs> the tire wasn't only flat, it was shredded. Oh my gosh. And before we went out there, we said, okay, we got a spare, we're good. Even if something happens, which never happens, we'll be okay. Then we put the spare on there and Brendan looks at it and goes, that thing's low. I'm like, ah, no, I bet it's got 25, 30 pounds in there. So yeah, and I checked the it, the gauge, and it said five pounds. His spare was five pounds. His spare was flat. The other one was worse just because it had everything torn out of it, but the spare was flat. So we had two flat tires immediately, and we just slept right where we were. Like, all right, we're sleeping here. Yep, so we packed it in and slept and uh, decided to go out the next day to find this thing. And uh, after three weekend attempts, we realized we were so far off, we would have never been able to find it on foot. Oh, man, no, we couldn't have found that first night. So before we go to the end of the story... <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to, you guys were pulling us off the freeway, we passed Wendover, you guys picked that spot and we turned around a few times, we were just looking for a clear open area and you saw that dirt road? Yeah, so it exactly, we're looking for an area that we can get off the main road, something that's not so close to the road that if cars come by they're going to want to drive over because there's something I guess intriguing when you start to see a balloon that's literally eight feet across once we start getting it filled up with helium and that's the ground and when that balloon start and it really does draw a lot of attention and when that as that balloon travels up into space i'll tell you it can be like 30 to 40 feet across so it's it's quite the experience to to see that balloon getting filled up on the side and and it was new for joy and joy was kind of helping me trying to keep the balloon from popping and, and it was oh a lot gosh. of wind was blowing around so joy kind of tell us how you it was a nightmare yes the balloon was really moving all over and we i we used a uh what have one 1500 right yeah 1500 gram yeah yeah a 1500 gram balloon and it took forever to get filled i think it was around <laughs> 30 minutes that we were kind of trying to fill and one of the things we also uh noticed while filling was there was a bit of a leak uh, in the pipe which we used to fill the gas and so it it took a long time i think it took around half an hour and we were trying to keep the balloon steady but at a certain point we finally decided that the balloon had enough air so if we could just let it go it would rise vertically mm. on its own oh okay yeah well, the cool part in all of this, and especially like Joy, it's probably was the first time for me and John as well, is the fact that this time we were being watched upon by a cool flying drone, which Brendan and Aaron got on the side there. That really was an experience for us out of the world. Truly, um, I'm sure if you take a look at the video that comes out of this, you will totally love it too. The drone footage flying around the balloon, setting up, and the balloons up there bopping our heads like it's playing, you know, that game that you play at, at those... Uh, whack-a-mole. Yeah, whack-a-mole. Yeah. Bop, bop, bop. It kept getting me, then getting joy, and then it would come back to John's hat and <laughs> knock it off his head. The PVC pipe that they had going off of the tank that was filling the balloon, they kept having to strike, try stretch the balloon back down the pipe and stay on there. I was sweating like crazy thinking that you guys were going to let that balloon go. The helium tank was halfway empty and all that helium was just go in the wind. I was so worried that we couldn't get our payload on. Yeah, there was definitely a lot going on. And then I had Joy there and also Aaron was there. And with the wind going, 
and you're and you're filling this balloon up and the balloon wants to go down if that balloon does not have a lot of thickness to the material and if that balloon was to hit the ground at all because it was literally trying to flow over if they hit the ground it would pop and then literally the the trips off so i, I had i had aaron we felt like we, we, he was uh they were doing the um rebound drills you do in basketball where you have one guy on one side and the, the other guy on the other side and their their job is to not let the basketball or in this case the balloon hit the ground because we would be in trouble so it, it, they did a good job we did not the balloon did not pop it touched me once it, <laughs> it did it did touch him once but it never touched the ground so i'd like to give a shout out to both joy and aaron for keeping That's it from right. popping <laughs> so i decide when we launched we practically divided into two teams uh, to quickly achieve the launch um, since it was you know we wanted to make use of the the remaining light for the day uh, as john said uh, aaron joy and john they just focused on filling up the balloon and getting it ready for the launch while me and brendan we focused on getting the payload uh, ready uh, stacking up with cameras doing the last test last minute tests on uh, the radios making sure we are getting the signal and it's all ready Uh, in the end i think it went well we got all the cameras ready uh, clicking pictures uh, programmed well uh, all the radios set to transmit whatever we wanted to know from the payload while it's in flight and then attach it to the balloon and just a side note i want to let you know that uh, 30 minutes to fill up a helium balloon that's pretty much about average so normally when you fill up a balloon you're talking about a little one but to fill up a gigantic balloon 30 to 40 minutes is no time at all. So that's a normal timeline. And it was great that Mahir and I could take advantage of that time and really make sure the payload was set up properly, that the cameras were all recording, that everything was looking good, and uh, and even explain to the other camera what was going on so in our video we can actually talk about what's going on. And that was kind of neat to have that time yeah. to do that so without being too rushed. To talk about the payload a little bit, uh, Aaron mentioned about that um, earlier that it was a lunchbox and it really is a, a insulated lunchbox from Walmart for five dollars, which just does uh, which just does the job. <laughs> uh, we poke holes in it so that the camera can peep out with the lens, uh, you know, looking outside the way we want to angle it, and uh, the top compartment is used for stacking up the radios as the GPS. needs to look up into the sky so that it gets a clear view of the satellites so that the telemetry information is good loud and clear so now that we got everything set up we're getting ready for the countdown you know we got Brendan working the drone we're we're going to do the countdown Brendan does the countdown and counts down from 5 4 3 2 one. 1 and we were so excited we leave <laughs> let go of the balloon it goes up And I'll tell you that balloon was having some winds because it was kind of distorting. Literally, it was kind of going oblong as it was going up. So there was a lot of real kind of unique winds that was going on at the same time. But we did get the balloon launched, and now we're ready to start following it out. And we always kind of compare following those balloons out to like a tornado chaser because you feel like you're in the car. It's ahead of us, ahead of us. Keep going. It's going. It's going. It's going. How fast is? It? How far ahead? You know, we all get really excited, you know, but it's it's really fun. And then Aaron, I was talking to Aaron. He says, "But we don't have the equipment back there." It's like, "Well, we need to get you hooked up so you guys can watch it watch the uh traffic of it going and watch its track." And so they they've got them hooked up. We're following 
side by side with each other and we're going going to where we think the balloon's going out and we're chasing it down and, and it's it's all the heart gets pumping and we're, we're really excited. Yeah. It was funny because we're in this area where there weren't a lot of area, a lot of little pockets that had cell signal and pockets that didn't have cell signal. And here was driving and we could tell when he had cell signal because all of a sudden he was going on all the lanes back and forth and slowing down. And then when he lost <laughs> signal, all of a sudden he was going 75. He's taken off, and we're like, oh, here he goes. It was hectic and crazy and fun, and then it all slowed down. I was like, well, let's just go to dinner and talk about where it might be. And so let's talk about... Because the radio signal stopped. Yeah, let's talk about how the signal stops, and you guys have what you have. What all do you have to make your predictive analysis of where it could be in a situation like this one, where we drop out a signal before it lands? Ideally, we do not want to get into such a situation. <laughs> Ideally, we want the balloon or, or the payload to land, keep talking to us, telling us where exactly it is. Unfortunately, in this situation, the last signal that we could decipher the latitude and longitude out of was received at 10,000 feet above the ground. What that means, beyond that point, now, there is a big 270-degree arch in which the balloon could have, you know, or the payload could have landed. And that's where the journey for retrieval starts. <laughs> right, because and once that thing hits the certain height in atmosphere, like about 100,000 feet or so, then the balloon pops. And then it starts right. heading down to the Earth, and it can hit the, hit the, uh, the jet stream some more and carry further. But all you guys had was like a small kind of drag shoot, not really an actual parachute, but more of like a drag shoot, right? Yeah, because you don't want you don't want it to float when it's coming down. So really, as it's going up, it goes up a lot slower. So when it goes through the jet stream, it really travels a lot through the jet, jet stream in that case because it's going so much slower. But as it goes up to 100,000 feet and starts coming back down, it's coming down at a much faster rate. So as it goes through the jet stream, it doesn't move as fast as it does on the way up, but it does hit the jet stream and travel more laterally in that case as well. So yeah, you're, you're following it up and you're seeing this parabola and it starts to come down and, and trying to see where it's gonna land. So yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting on watching, that, on watching the path of that balloon. So I'm gonna jump in here with something that was completely distracting, because here I am excited to be here. We're at the restaurant. We're gonna talk about the telemetry, the velocity. We're gonna talk about all these elements of where the balloon was and how it goes. And we see on our map of where we are. And it's saying, okay, here's maybe some dirt roads out here where we can't see them. Let's zoom in, zoom in, zoom in. And suddenly Google Earth delivers us news that we had never heard in our entire life, that there is the Republic of Zakistan right here. And all of a sudden, our dinner changed. We could not focus on the balloon anymore, and everyone was looking up, what the heck is Zakistan? The next hour, we spent researching this guy who literally has created his country out there in the desert. Yeah, we heard that he, what, purchased the land or, or bought it on eBay for, what, $600? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, seriously? that's seriously, oh. seriously true. And then he brought some friends out, and they start looking at it going, well... It's not like you're going to build a, a big city here because there's not a lot out there. But he decides instead of building a big city, he's going to build his own country. And I guess if your name's Zach and you're going to build a country, what do you call it? Zakistan. Zakistan. <laughs> you know? <laughs> there are literal embassies and passports to be had. Embassies to visit, passports that you can have. That You said, Mahir, what were the embassies actually? They're just like an art exhibit or... 
Yeah, I think the whole project of Zakistan right now is um, an art exhibit. Um, so it mimics uh, a country and whatever the country needs from a foreign affairs and internal affairs standpoint. <laughs> Embassy is just part of it. <laughs> it was so funny to see these giant statues of this, what was it, aluminum robot? I don't know if it was, it was, some, it was really reflective. It could have been mirrors. Yeah, while well, we were out glass. searching for the... For the payload, we saw it reflect every night as we could see the sun going just right and hit it, just glint and light off of it. We're like, there's Zakistan. Yeah. <laughs> I wish we could have had an opportunity to make it out there, but... We will. Out of the three weekends we spent retrieving this payload, we were so burnt out and so tired that we didn't want to go back out there to travel across this mud flats to get to Zakistan, so... Well, I can tell you the waitress that was out at the, at the cafe that we stopped at she kind of inferred she's not gone out to Zakistan and she doesn't think it's safe to go out to Zakistan. She says those guys are weird. So we don't know what that means. So, <laughs> so if you decide you want to go to Zakistan, just be careful. They're weird. I think three weekends in a row of us being there at that time, completely covered in mud, they probably thought we were pretty weird. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and so that's what happens when you receive the last signal at 10,000 feet, two to three weekends. Had we received the signal right where it has landed, it probably would have been two hours. And one more thing uh, I found pretty interesting is we had two radios on the payload and both the radios were showing a different path. But in the end, when the signal died down or when we received the last signal they kind of merged into the same path and that mm. was pretty interesting to me because uh having two radios uh, on the same payload and still they showing different paths is something quite right. interesting hmm. yeah and i actually talked to Mira and jonathan about it because i did not see like that and they actually explained to me that the gps does not have a hundred percent accuracy it uh, might uh, mm. yeah it there's a margin of error. There's a margin there of error. Yeah, yeah, the GPS yeah. the GPS is based on their make model and you know the basically the performance for that day it might just change. <laughs> mm -hmm. So in our time left, let's quickly summarize the hunt for it. Uh, we already talked Vernon and I got a flat tire heading out there. The next morning Mahir, John, and Joy, they came and joined us. And we drove to the point we decided where we saw on Google Earth that there's a curve of a road that reaches closest to our suspected area. We had these two areas that were next to this ridge, and we had a drone at our disposal. We thought, let's hike the five miles out to that point and fly the drone. And getting out there, we realized we were talking two, three miles of search zone, and we really only had about a mile reach, mile and a half. Yeah, the, dr the drone, as it's configured now, only has about maybe a mile it was so open we were at a higher point and because the, the mud flats went down into a valley which is totally flat and open that you could really probably fly the drone out a good mile but the problem is the battery life doesn't allow you to really scout i mean by the time you get a mile out and you start looking around you got like maybe five to ten minutes at best and there was an incredible moment that mahir and i witnessed where Brendan was flying like a pro. He had this thing out too far and the battery power was on its final 30 seconds. And it was warning and beeping and he is flying in as fast as he could. And the drone came in like you see in all sci-fi movies where they fly in at incredible pace. They pivoted on top of Brendan's head and then landed at a pace you thought would be too hard for it to land. It was incredible to watch. You thought Brendan was this perfect 
pilot, this professional pilot that was amazing, that could have done stunts. It was awesome. This thing was flying into high speeds, then hovers and lands in just half a second. It was That's astounding. about a year and a half of practice. That <laughs> exactly. That allows, allows me to do that. The, the, <laughs> the, 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 music was playing, the music was playing at the time. I mean, it literally was a scene from the movie when you saw that coming across. Yeah, it was Top Gun playing in my head. Yeah. Top Gun soundtrack. It, it reminds me of the dialogue from the movie Apollo 13 where one of the astronauts' mom says, if they could, fl if they could launch a washing machine, my son could fly it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. So then our troubles of the first night and first day, um, I would summarize it as we had an, an area that it could be, knowing a margin of error for our predictive analysis was always going to be on the further east side. It wouldn't be much closer. So we wanted to check everything from the car all the way there. We scoured everything we could, got to a point, and then the sun was starting to go down. I mean, we're talking, we had two hours left. Joy and I, we hiked off in the distance while Mihir, John, and and Brendan, they used the drone and navigated through there. And then while Joy and I were out, you guys discovered that you were listening to the signal at the ham radio. Yeah, and I want to kind of bring up a little bit, just so everybody understands what's happening, is that those transmitters are transmitting out. And normally the process for the communication is a transmitter on the payload actually transmits to a tower. That Those packets get pulled down to a local server. They get interpreted, and then they get displayed on a map to show where the payload is. What happened in our case was there was you have to have line of sight to your to the radio tower. For some reason, this area just did not have any line of sight, even though it was a pretty flat area. There was just no radio towers up there. So it, when it came down, it stopped having any line of sight to the radio tower. So every two minutes, that transmitter was still transmitting out, and it was literally telling us what its GPS coordinates were. But all but as when we would zero into that radio um, frequency. We, every two minutes, we would hear a squelch, and, and we we're thinking to ourselves, if we had the right equipment at that point, we could literally de de decipher that communication, display that information onto our cell phones, and we'd be able to see what it was. So every two minutes, it was like our baby was out there crying to us, and it was squelching. <laughs> About every two minutes, it's like, Daddy! Daddy, you but because it as a baby, and it's actually true. Once I heard that it was happening, I felt more concerned and I felt more optimistic that it's out there. Yeah, and yeah, we definitely knew it was right out here. there, but but we just lacked the equipment to find it, which was so frustrating to me because I'm just oh, like yeah. I'm just like the whole time like needle in a haystack. Unbelievable. <laughs> we're out there looking for this, especially after the second weekend, and then the third weekend, we're just like, oh my gosh, where is this thing? We've been looking everywhere. However, yeah. that squelch that uh, you are talking about did help. So I remember um, while jo while Aaron and uh, Joy were out there on the field still looking for the payload, myself, Jonathan, and Brendan, we were hearing the squelch and thinking about, okay, we are getting the squelch, what can we do? So we were standing on top of this knoll where we are, get, we are hearing this beep every two minutes. So we just decided to take the local radio, handheld radio in our, which was there with us and start going into the different non-line-of-sight uh, areas of that hilltop. And we, uh, we, stuck it, uh, under, we stuck it behind a few rocks in different angles and different directions. And guess what? There was a particular zone that we were able to narrow down on from where the signal was coming and the other areas, it was not coming. So that 
that turned out to be immensely helpful because it was exactly in the direction where the last signal was received at 10,000 feet, helped us zero in through Google Earth on where it might be. <laughs> so then the whole first night, that's, that first night Saturday, they went home, we stayed there, got our flat tire, slept in the car. Saturday, so Sunday came around, we hiked around, we did all the stuff we just talked about. That night, people had to go back to work. I, Brendan works on his own from home, and so he was free to use some time on Monday. We also had a flat tire and a flat spare tire. Well, so I was fortunate enough, my wife had the day off work as well, so oh, that, that allowed made, me to have a Monday off. Yeah. That was key. I flat out just told work I couldn't be there. I needed to keep looking for this drone, plus we were stranded. Our vehicle had two flat tires. In their situation, these guys drove us back. We filled up the, flat, the spare tire, we got that on the car, and then we drove back out. And once we hit the regular highway, we went about... What, a mile? Two, ten miles? Before? It might have been, yeah, it might have been like five or six miles. Yeah, and then that passenger tire cracked Then my other tire blew out and shredded like the same way, so. It was amazing. So now we don't, not only had a flat spare tire that we just barely filled up, but we had two actual tires completely blown out and damaged and useless. And these guys luckily were... They were in front of us, so we were flashing down. <laughs> yeah. They turned around, picked us up, took us to the nearest big town, which is Brigham City. Oh, man, it was an hour and a half away. And then, yeah. From there, we got ripped off at a car rental place, which we had to walk to in the morning from our hotel and our crappy continental breakfast that was disgusting. I think they had slept on the muffins and then pulled them out from their pillows and put them out there in the morning for us to eat. <laughs> it was disgusting. So then we walked down to Walmart, walked down to the closest place we could. We got ripped off by them, took their car, and drove back another... We drove back to the vehicle, grabbed the tires, tried to get some locals to help us get out to the area that we thought it might be. We couldn't recruit anybody who had free time enough to do it, which I'm glad they couldn't. Because they were we, smart. They lived in the area. They were they smart. They thought about They said, you guys want a couple hours, an hour time to go out there? Good luck. Oh, we needed they knew it was a needle in a haystack, and they just said, not, not interested. To put it in perspective that Dave were asking for a couple hours, we ended up coming back the following weekend for an entire day and couldn't find it. And so we couldn't do it in 16 hours, what we were asking them to do in two hours with us, mm. imposing on them. And so no wonder why we just got big grinning smiles and laughter when we asked for help. <laughs> <laughs> so then we fixed the tires by going back and forth between there and Ogden, and we drove over 300 miles, got more ripped off by the car rental, and Brendan and I went home on a vehicle that was dodging to the right lane every once in a while at the very end of its trip. The way to get off the freeway it was getting so bad. This poor car, we just put it into ICU after this. Yeah, the car is definitely struggling from that last trip, but... I'll get it all working again. It'll be fine. So that was the first weekend. We had our GoPros in there. We wanted to find it. So we thought, what do we do? We got recruited my father's Can-Am, and we went back out there. And Mahir couldn't join us that first weekend, but John and Joy were able to. In short, we got stuck on our way to pick up Joy and John, and we had to smear mud off of our axle. I say smear because we weren't really picking it up. We weren't really cleaning it off. It was more like we would just smear it away. Yeah, so the back tires got really mudded up and got solid mud blocks between the tire and the wheel well. We're so <laughs> thick that we had to dig them out because it literally almost like stops in our tracks. We had to stop and pull it out because it's just too bad. After that, we were so discouraged. Then we picked up Joy and John, it became fun again, and we went the rest of the night looking where we could at the predicted coordinate. Now, this predicted coordinate was thanks to Mahir using a program, right? You went back to your computer at home and you had a program give you that app, that area, right? Yeah, so what basically um, I did was I used some software, a little bit of predictive analysis, some linear projections, and 
drew out a small section, like a triangle on the map where it possibly could based on the winds that were there that day, based on where it was headed that way. If it's a 10,000 feet going at, uh, say, 15 miles an hour, where could it be uh, when it comes to 4,500 4, feet, which is basically the altitude of the ground at that place. So that's what we did. Um, I couldn't go. I at least uh, shared the uh, the maps with some of these uh, highlighted zones uh, with these guys, and that's when they started. So when we went out to that GPS point, we just circled around it, drove around it, tried to avoid the real muddy areas. We didn't want to get stuck again. Mm. And sun set on us, and we tried our best. We really gave it our all. A little discouraged, definitely covered in mud. Brendan was so covered in mud that all of the hairs on his arm looked like they had armor on them. They had mud armor attached. Yeah, and it hurt every time I tried to <laughs> pick it off, so I decided to leave it and not touch it, which was driving me nuts. <laughs> so then... We decided we we're gonna come back the following weekend. And just to close this out, let's talk about, you guys talk about finding it. Well, that day, yeah, so that day we started out, Aaron and I slept overnight that that previous night. We slept in the, and borrowed his dad's truck again, slept overnight. We wanted to get started right in the morning. So yeah, so we there. knew that Joey Mahir was gonna meet up with us, so we decided to get up earlier, you know, and we ended up waking up late because it was hard to sleep. But we got out there, started the day, we had spent maybe an hour or two out there before we heard on the radio, Joy uh, tried to contact us, and they were somewhere in light of sight, so we knew they were getting close, and so we started heading back. So we gave it a little bit of extra effort in the morning, still no luck. So we went back to find them, and uh, and then what happened when we found you guys? We decided to approach this day with a slightly different strategy. Um, we had been out there as a group a couple of times, couldn't really find it. So we said, okay, you know what? We had this Can-Am. We are just going to drive to the point where we received the last signal, which we did. Walked up a little, drove for the most part, stood exactly under that point where the payload sent the signal to us 10,000 feet above. That's exactly what we did. And then we started to spread out in different directions, looking for that payload. All we were focusing on in those flats with shrubs which were about say a feet a foot or so tall all our focus was where is that red shining parachute that we are going to look for the the burst balloon which is white in color and the black colored lunchbox <laughs> and we were so afraid that it was going to be like my fear was like it was going to be right behind a bush and we would have passed it and never saw it or that it was going to be in like one of those gorges where there's water and like maybe two feet, you know, from the yeah. ground level down into the water was like two feet. It could, and it, the trenches like snaked in and out. And so we could have drove past this thing a hundred times and not I, seen it. And I was so frustrated, like, oh my gosh, did we just pass it like 50 times and still haven't seen it? We're just like running over. Uh, it was just like needle in the haystack. It was just so <laughs> frustrating. This last Saturday, we had our chance, our most opportunity, our longest day of using the Can-Am and getting through all the areas. We had areas that Brendan had figured out could he should, we should check. Brendan's brother-in-law gave us some areas he thought basic, based off the map. Mahir and Joy came with the triangle that they really wanted to check. And so we had all these areas that were high probabilities. At one point, Mahir called them yellow and green zones. Green zones, high probability. Or was it lower? What was your color? No, no, color? that's correct. Okay, okay, so green zones were their high probability. Then yellow zones were just kind of on the on the 
fringe of where it could be. And we were overlapping, crisscrossing. I would drive the Can-Am up and down really quickly through while Mahir and Joy and Brennan would take very detailed, purposeful walks through, checking everything. We would see reflective graduation balloons that would freak us out. We all get excited. We'd run over to them. No, it was just trash. <laughs> Yeah. And one more thing, Aaron was really familiar with the terrain by now and he was driving the Can-Am without any uh, maps or without any... <laughs> oh, we were, yeah, we were yeah, so without familiar any with device, the area. Yeah. yeah, it was ridiculous how well we got to know the oh, area. The terrain, yeah. Yeah, I think what was, in, I think what was interesting is uh, Aaron was even remembering the tracks. Uh, Brendan was remembering the... Uh, the footprints like uh, from the last weekend or the weekend before and that was really surprising to me that how they could recollect that but the good part was that that's exactly what made them familiar with the different uh, topography which was out there i think that in the end helped <laughs> us in heading in the right direction well, we even had a couple giant red bushes that we recognized as waypoints. Like, okay, we passed by this. Yeah, it's like, we're going to go to that one. Okay, we've already been there before. And, and we actually, um, with Aaron's suggestion, I found um, a, an app called MyTracks. Yeah. And we awesome. used that on the, on the iPhone. And that, that, was tra that was logging. So it was hard to find it because we, we were looking for GPS tracking software, but we wanted it was GPS logging software. Yeah. So I saw this and I no saw signal, I got no cell signal, no reception. Yeah. So this was so this was no cell signal, totally off. I could down I could pre-download a map, and that that helped us that day, and I just used the data on the phone, and uh, and then it would track every spot we stopped at, and so or or, or logged our entire day, and so it actually gave us like the amount of hours we spent that day. How many how many miles we traveled? 38. We almost thirty eight miles. We spent nine hours that last day, and it wasn't until an hour and a half of sunlight left that we finally decided to go to the last point of the signal. Right. We were, so we were at our, the end of our rope. I mean, we had tried all yellow zones, all green zones, crisscrossing, and if it was in between all of those and we couldn't see it, it was a lost cause because we had four sets of eyeballs looking and we could not see this. So we thought. Let's just go back to where it was last seen. And we've watched each other hike, and it had been pretty quick work of hiking mile and a half distances. So let's just fan out a mile and a half from there, because that's going to cover the potential zone. And man, on our way to the coordinate, we were on one side, here and Jordan the other, and all of a sudden they're just waving frantically. We're like, no way, no way. And it was actual real. They saw it in the distance. You had your binoculars out, right? Yes, I had my binoculars on. And to be really honest, that really was not a green zone marked on our oh, maps. Yeah, not, me neither. We, we just looked over in that direction. And oh boy. Oh boy, what a feeling that was to just see the baby out there. The whole black colored box, lunch box, which... I fondly like to call it, and then the <laughs> the parachute and the balloon. We had seen there. broken balloons all day, and so when we hear saw that, I'm like, is it actually just something that looks man-made, or is it it? And he, it, we could tell it was different. Yeah, there was something different in his voice and Joy's voice. We're like, you've got to. They come. were jumping up and down, and we were <laughs> just started running, <laughs> running after them to see. <laughs> and the closer we got, sure enough, we oh, found it. Man. John told me weeks ago before we did this that there's an adrenaline that comes once you find the payload, and I experienced it. I experienced it. I could have done cartwheels and backflips, and I normally can't do any of those. 
Right. And it turns out there was a street sign right at the payload that was Aaron Avenue and Brendan Boulevard. <laughs> this way to Zakistan. <laughs> yeah, this way to Zakistan. Exactly. This way home. Congratulations, guys. You found the package. We were honestly overthinking it. We were brilliant mathematicians and analyzers, and we thought, okay, projected analysis puts it here. And in the end, it was just like 100 yards from its last known location. Silly enough. It's crazy. We never went there till the very end. Exactly. I think the payload really was loyal, stick to its word. We didn't trust it. <laughs> we thought for sure it went further. So that was our story of our first collaboration with Extreme Space Adventures. And Brendan and I, we really can't wait until Photog Adventures goes out with them again. Yeah, I'm just excited to figure out a way to stabilize the video. So 3D print. To 3D print something to help us, you know, whether 3D printing a box or 3D printing um, a way to stabilize the, the box. And yeah. there's some cool things we can do there to engineer uh, a better solution for what we want. And then... Uh, and then maybe this, and then maybe the time after that, we can try something 360. So GoPro, if you're listening, we would love to have a 360. Oh, set up. To test your GoPro kit for 360. We'll show some pretty awesome footage, and we're really practiced on finding things in hopeless situations. So we're not going to lose your cargo. So yeah. real quick, let's go around each one of you. Say something that you wish we could do better next time. Well, one of the things that was kind of real frustrating to all of us is the fact that. Uh, we could zero in on that frequency and we could hear every two minutes that transmission coming out to us. And the fact that it was literally transmitting its GPS coordinates to us every two minutes and we just could not understand it. So we decided at that point that we need to find out that we need to get some equipment to allow us to transmit that. And we found out and during, during the research, there's been a lot of changes since last time we've looked. And the cost has really come down. So we get a box called a TNC. And it, literally what happens is that we can take our handheld radio. It will talk to this TNC. The TNC will, will translate that, those packets into a digital format. And then through a Bluetooth interface to our phone, it will be able to display its coordinates onto the phone. So that's definitely what we want to do going forward. Nice. Beautiful. Some of the, some of the engineering that we want to really upgrade uh, in order to make this collaboration really scale new heights is we, as Brendan said, we definitely want to stabilize. One of the things I want to do is to give the balloon and the payload a little more buoyant time up in the lower atmosphere uh, at uh, say about 100,000 100, to about 120,000 feet. So it can take better pictures of uh, the space. Um, it can, you know, it, it really opens up the possibilities of what all we can photograph from there, right? Uh, like the setting sun or the rising sun or the, the meteor showers that we talked about, or maybe even a solar eclipse, uh, uh, if I may. Oh, um, absolutely. And one more thing uh, we also uh, are planning to do probably from the next flights is to have some sort of a beacon into the payload where uh, it could either be a sound beacon or a, a beacon which will give us a... Yeah, a kind of a directional beacon yeah. type thing that's sending off a signal from the package itself, from the payload. Then from a handheld that we're holding, if we have a directional antenna that can then based on where you're pointing it, you can literally point out and say, okay, it's definitely coming from this direction. So there's a lot of equipment. We want to really use technology to make the recovery a lot more streamlined.
but because it's just it makes it that much more fun the more we can do the more we can do with technology the more we can use it to let us know where it's at and more quickly get it just like i said this time when every two minutes it's saying you know i'm here i'm here and we're not listening to it or not knowing how to communicate to it mm-hmm. was really frustrating so we our goal is to not let that happen again good what i would want to do differently is if it's not the can-am in my father's truck bring a set of atvs or a set of just dirt bikes with us so that if the payload turns out to be in a location that's farther off the closest dirt road that we all don't have to trudge out eight, nine miles like we did that first night. Mm-hmm. And that eight, nine miles was still six miles, four to six miles short of where it actually was. And so I want to put in our hands the capability of getting out to the actual location of its final GPS lo- GPS coordinates so that we can find this easier next time if it gets in a situation like this. And I know that every time I bring it, every time I pay for the diesel, it'll never be needed, but uh, <laughs> at least we'll have it. Yeah. So... Guys, thank you for taking so much time with us. We always end our podcast with a gear time with Brendan. We're going to do a very quick gear time and tip of the week with everybody. And my tip of the week is that we should all get our ham radio license. Uh, we have a Baofeng portable radio right here that is Baofeng portable two-way radio. It has ultra-compact dual-band transceiver with wide-band coverage. And what was the name of this antenna? A ducky something, a flappy duck. SMA high gain antenna. Oh. We have an SMA high gain antenna, this Nagoya NA771. And we had Mahir, who is a licensed ham radio operator, and I think you're amateur radio licensed, right? Yep. And with his call sign, he was our command center. And because he had that com- had license, we could communicate back and forth with this Baofeng. I bring it with us in all our photo adventures as an emergency backup situation. But for the first time ever, we got a chance to use it. And it was just fantastic. Yeah, so this thing is awesome because it's a it's um it's a dual band FM transceiver, which means it transmits and receives. You can actually dial in a frequency specifically, so that's how we found the payload um, was dialing in the frequency. And then it has your 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 normal standard um, radio bands as well. Um, the battery life seems to be really good on this. Oh man, Mahir told me at seven o'clock turn it on and then just leave it on until we get there so that we can be heard and found. And from 7 o'clock in the morning, I left it on until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and the battery didn't even tick down a bar. Yeah, so it comes with a really good battery um, out of the box. And um, just so you listeners know, it's Baofeng's B-A-O-F-E-N-G. So um, that's a Chinese name, and I think they really are trying to compete with Motorola really strong on this. The, the, the price best. point's good, and I don't know exactly what it costs, but I know that it's, it's, it's cheaper than a lot of the other... Other well-known ones? Price on these radios is really dirt cheap. On Amazon, we just bought it for like a $40 a piece. Oh, wow. $40 a piece. I would never guess that. Yeah, does a great job. As Brendan called out, performance, outstanding. Fantastic. So great price point. If you guys are interested, get your amateur hand radio license and pick yourself up one of these. You will not be disappointed. Everybody that I've known that had one of these has been seriously satisfied. And I've known a couple of friends of mine that actually have this. They said, oh, you got a Baofeng? Yeah, they're awesome. I was like, oh, sweet. I never heard of that before. But yeah, everybody that I know that has one is excited about it. So, so guys, good go piece out of there, equipment. get this equipment, get your ham radio license so that you can use it, have some fun with that. Hey, guys, Extreme Face Adventures, John, Mahir, Joy, thank you so much for doing this with us. Thanks for sitting here with us tonight on these hard chairs and having your butt fall asleep in our podcast tonight and joining us and uh, 
Brendan, thanks for everything that we spent money on repairing gas, tire repair, axle repair. This was a costly, costly photog adventure, but it <laughs> yeah. was awesome fun. I would just like to say thanks to you guys as well. I mean, your background and experience really added a different perspective for us and gave us some, some different things that we want to try in the future and some different uh, kind of goals that we want to set for ourselves. So, you know, we really appreciate all your guys' expertise and, and, the, and your dedication to an adventure because definitely we had an adventure. Well, thank you so much uh, for Talk Adventures and you know, really looking forward to some exciting flights that we are going to do together. Yeah, 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 thank you for Talk Adventures. Yeah, it was fun working with you, and thank you also to Extreme Space Adventures as well for giving me the chance to work with them too. And it was great fun working with you because Aaron and Brendan were the ones who actually uh, went there week in week out and actually uh, put the whole uh, Canam thing in place as well. Uh, I think the Canam thing really helped us to locate the balloon quicker, and yeah. That was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was awesome. a, sh a shout out to Aaron's father yes, thank for you. the Can-Am. You're a stud. We appreciate it. You're a saint for letting us borrow that. That was a lifesaver. We never, never would have found it without that. Yeah. <laughs> no way. So thank you guys. Thanks, everybody. Get out there and put a review on our iTunes. Also, go into our website, photogunventures.com. Sign up for the newsletter. For those of you on the newsletter, I have to apologize. The funeral and the space adventure with Extreme Space Adventures has talk, taken up all of our time on the weekends, all of our time in the evenings. And so we haven't gotten the newsletter out recently, but it's coming out to you. We'll keep pumping out good stuff. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.